Welcome to BRH, Bethel Radio Hour. Uh, we are in Acts chapter 17, 1 through 15 for our first topic. And it's just almost like <clears throat> rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat as far as Paul going uh, to the next place, going to the Sabbath, uh, our synagogue that is, on the Sabbath, uh, which in the Bible days was on Saturday. And... Uh, it not going well, and so him going to the Gentiles, and then when the Gentiles receive, the Jews get upset, and then the persecution happens. And so, I mean, that's precisely what happens here again. Uh, but a very interesting thing happens after Thessalonica when he goes to Berean and the such. So we're, we're going to read that, and we're going to talk about it, and uh, use our discussion questions to kind of bring out uh, the similarities and, and what might be different in this particular situation. Uh, so Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, and the scripture itself says, as his manner was, went in unto them, notice, three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scripture. So that's three weeks. He gave three full, almost full month to quote unquote reaching the Jews first. And he alleges that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. So some of the synagogue received Christ. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. So, of course, Greeks are Gentiles. And so now it's saying that a few Jews believed, but many, many Gentiles believed. And of the chief women, not a few. So a whole lot of Gentile women believed. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company and set all the city on a uproar. So they just absolutely uh, put together a mob a mob of people that knew what they were doing. Hello, Terry. Good to see you. You got a microphone? Not yet. Okay. Oh, and a phone call. Uh, and assaulted, now notice here, assaulted the house of Jason. Brother Ryan, you mind closing that? Uh, Insult to bring them out to the people. And when they had found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. So just kind of to, you know, flesh this out a little bit more, um, they have figured out that they're staying at Jason's house. And so this mob breaks into Jason's house, essentially, looking for Paul and Barnabas, uh, and they're going to pull them out and make examples of them. Well, they're not there. So they pull Jason. Uh, and another brother, it says, out, and they basically uh, get everybody up in an uproar. And one of the things that they're basically threatening is, you know, we are in danger as a city of Caesar coming here and basically laying waste to the place because we're purporting that there's another king. And, and so, which, of course, uh, Jesus Christ absolutely refused to be utilized as that sort of king. And so there is no base to their argument. They're just pulling anything out that they can. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And, of course, it would trouble you. 
And when they had taken security of Jason, I'm really not 100% sure what that means, and of the other, they let them go. They and, caused him to pay a fine. Ah, there you go. I'm guessing. Okay, yeah. You pay us the monies, we'll let you go. Right. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night under Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, n notice how quickly we've made a change here. So they almost got killed at Thessalonica, and now they went to Berea. And it's like, yeah, that was really kind of bad. Hey, let's start over. You know, it, 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 I hope and, and would to God type thing that I can have that type of short memory, uh, the water rolling off the duck's back type thing, because they just dive right back in at Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. So, you know, same song, second verse. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. So we... In my opinion, we have the idea here that even more Jews accepted and received, whether those things were so. But the reason that they received them and were more uh, of a higher cloth, if you will, is that they uh, took everything that Paul said and matched it against Scripture. So, therefore, many of them believed. Also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. So it kind of says the same thing. So a bunch, a bunch of Gentiles believed too. Here we go. You ready for that contraction? But... When the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, I don't know if this is our last BRH or not. I'm still trying to figure that out with the schedule. But if we have another BRH, we're going to be talking about that Paul just again for the third time ramps it up and starts over in, that, in Athens, and it's a very interesting thing there, but that's for another BRH. So uh, the discussion questions, uh, Tara, that you sent to us, uh, first of all, was what patterns are you seeing in Paul's ministry? Well, you kind of touched on it a little bit in that we just saw that they went to Philippi last right. week or two weeks ago, and they start this European ministry. So they, they're in Europe. Same thing every time. He hits the synagogue mm -hmm. first. Um, some believe the mm -hmm. Jews get really upset mm -hmm. that don't believe, and they try to persecute him every right. time. Every time. Um, but every time, you know, he's, he's faced beatings and stonings and imprisonment, mm -hmm. and, like, the list goes on and Accus on. False accusations. Right. Treason. But, like you said, he's not... You know, here he goes, all right, so we leave Philippi. Then he hits Thessalonica. What does he do? Goes Same to the synagogue. Thing. You know, they get in an uproar because so many people believe. That makes people upset. Right. And here they roll into Berea. Same, Same thing, thing, different verse. I'm going to go straight to the synagogue. I'm going to get an audience. I'm going to present this gospel message. And what happens? People believe. People believe. Um, the Energizer Bunny. Right. Yeah, you've heard the story about the the new neighbors that moved into a neighborhood and they had two Doberman Pinschers and they built a fence to keep these big monstrous dogs in. And there's a one of the residents of that neighborhood, they have a bulldog that's pretty much been uh, the king of the neighborhood. And he sees these two Dobermans move in. He said, I'm having enough of this. He digs under the fence and just gets into a brawl with these two Dobermans and they whip him soundly. He runs out from under. Have you heard this story? Oh, yeah. I think you run, yeah. told me. Yeah. I've told him. So the 
Doberman's whipping really good. The next day, he's walking down the street, sees him, and right back in the right. in the pen again. They whip him bad. This just he keeps happening day after day after day, till finally one day the the bulldog comes up and the sees the Doberman's jump, runs under the fence, and they run under the house. <laughs> we're just gonna we're just gonna let you take care of it. That's right. <laughs> That's Paul. Right, dog. right. He just stays at it. Uh, and that's where the story goes. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Uh, and, 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 you know, you, you got to remember, we're not talking about, uh, if you will, a, a namby-pamby fellow that just happens to get saved, and all of a sudden he's this massive, bold speaker. Paul was in the fray on every level. You know, we don't know what Paul was like as a teenager. I guarantee you he had a few squabbles before he became a Pharisee. And once he became a Pharisee, he became the best Pharisee. Yeah, I don't think they just let you hold those kind of ranks unless you're the type that can handle yourself. Right, right. Um, so, th- go ahead. Well, I think one of the key parts in uh, chapter 17 and verse 6 is where they drag, you know, they can't find Paul, so they drag Jason out, and they, you know, he's housing them, they think, and they say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Right. So... His reputation his preceded, preceded him. him. So he's only been to Philippi in, in Europe, in this region, right? So now his reputation is following him right, right down the path. It, it would almost be like a liberal college or a liberal city seeing Jordan Peterson coming, you know, to speak. Or Franklin Graham, you know, or... Was they've th- had similar reactions. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Same deal. They protest, they try to shut him down, scre- screaming match and all that jazz. And even though, you know, I, I can't speak for all of you, but, but I, I don't get excited about that type of situation. That causes amazing angst and stress for me. The reality is, is that we're probably going to be called to more of it than what we have in the past, you know, 20 to 50 years. But uh, the, the, Paul just made up his mind. This is my calling, and I'm going to do it no matter the cost. And I think all of us have to come to that place sooner or later again, no matter what our personality trait is and the such, but, but because there's too much at stake. You know, our children are at stake. Uh, our, our way of life, if you will, is at stake. The right to share the gospel is at stake. Uh, so uh, were you getting into that second topic there? Why were the Jews leaders so jealous of Paul's ministry? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously every time this is going on, the Jewish leaders are getting very upset. So what, in your opinion, is one or two of the main reasons that they are so upset in each of these circumstances? Like, they're willing to kill someone. Why? Correct. Well, okay, so, you know, you've heard the expression that, you know, one lie begets another. Well, it's kind of the same true about a murder. One murder begets another if, you've got, if you're going to cover it up. So, I don't know, do you think we're still within five years of Jesus' death at this point? Because we've got three years of training for Paul. And so I'm, I'm thinking we're still within five years of Jesus. Right. So, so it's still pretty fresh, and especially because Peter, James, and John, and Paul, they, they keep bringing it up. You know, they keep bringing it up, and they keep pointing back to the cross, and people keep getting saved. And, you know, in Jerusalem, you had that catastrophe of twenty to 50,000 people coming to know Christ when the church at uh, Jerusalem was started. So all of this is fresh in their minds. And, and the Jew, like, you know, they've come to turn the world upside down here so I believe that they were willingly murderous because they were guilty. You know, they, they were complicit with Jesus' murder. So to cover that up, to get them to shut up, 
it wouldn't be no big deal to kill Paul because look what he's saying. Look what he's doing. He's accusing us of murder. And he used to be our number one. One of us. Yeah, yeah he, he used to be our number yeah. one. Now he's working against us just like a, a Democrat becoming a Republican there. And I think Sorry. also another one, yeah, you had to go there, uh, deceived. They were deceived. I mean, they had blinders on the size of, you know, horse blinders. Uh, and, and because, again, you know, I always, and you said this before too, Tara, we can't ever forget that the very people that we see as enemies, they're the people we're trying to reach. And he was trying to reach he them. Trying. He Three went, weeks. He went to the Jewish people first every single time and, so and far. And he reasoned with them. And I think um, this is the John MacArthur answer, why they were jealous. He says it's because this was also for the Gentiles, and they did not like that. Right. Um, well, they hated the Gentiles. So that was something like, well, I've been doing all this righteous stuff. I've been keeping this law. We've got rules upon rules upon rules, and I've been <laughs> keeping them, and these darn Gentiles haven't done anything. It for free. And now they're just going to be on the same playing field? No. That was, I think, uh, according to John MacArthur, that was one of their big hang-ups as to why they just really hated this teaching. And even if for uh, any of the Jews that may not be able to put in such a negative light, it could have been, too, that they just saw it as blasphemous that for you to say, you know, Jesus is God. And to them, you right. know, that right. no, that's... Hijacking their religion, right. yeah. Yeah, God is God. He's one God, you know, would be their thought. Mm -hmm. And so we, who we, are you to tell us right. that this guy is... We got some 2,000 years of... Mm -hmm way to get to God, and it's called the rabbinical teachings, and, and so we, we don't need this Jesus. I think, too, you know, uh, and this is going to sound awfully bigoted. It's not meant to be. I, I believe that most everybody in the world would agree that, that Jewish people have a known strength in the area of finances. Well, and education. Right, um, right. They're smart. They're educated that they can make money. And I feel to some extent, we've kind of talked about that could be kind of God's blessing on them as his chosen Absolutely. people. So I don't really Absolutely. feel that's right. it. It's not a slap. Yeah. It's not a slap. These Jewish men had business dealings with these Greek people. And these Greek people getting saved were fixing to change all of their principles. Follow the money. <laughs> yeah. Follow. They were not going to make idols anymore for Diana. They weren't, I mean, fill in the blank, you know. Uh, and, and Jewish merchants weren't going to have the connections right. that they had before with the influence, the right. religious influence that they had. Yeah. Because it's also through Scripture well known that they had a double life. They had this life of, yes, we keep the law, but then they had this life of, we bend the law where we need to to well, make a buck. And, I mean, Jesus went through and cleansed the yeah. temple twice. But, yeah, they were making They were making money off of people, mm -hmm. and he couldn't stand it. I mean, as it should of be in sacrificial lambs. The, the In epitome, the irony. <laughs> the epitome, that's right. So, uh, yeah, I think all these things play, played a role. It, it was really multifaceted, you know, here. Uh, they, they were just, by the devil, set up to just completely, you know, disagree with what Paul was saying and what Paul was bringing. Um, because, you know, uh, you, and, and we face it in our world, we're trying to help people see that, this life is not all there is, and they can't see it because they're blinded. And it's not until they get a full dose of their sin that they realize, oh, you know, and of course the Holy Spirit has to do that. So um, there's two cities that were mentioned in this. So they have Thessalonica and then Berea. 
Um, similarities with that would definitely be that um, people heard, people received, and people were saved. Um, differences. What are the two differences between these two cities? Anything that sticks out? I think the biggest one was uh, the people of Thessalonica were not given the commendation that they checked the scriptures, and the people at Berea were. The people at Berea were given the commendation that they took what Paul said and they mashed it up to the scripture. And it took them time. It says they searched the scriptures daily. Daily, yeah. This Amen. is why I contend that, well, it's not a contention, but I just believe that Paul didn't see a difference between Judaism and Christianity. He felt like it was one religion and was trying to no, absolutely. teach that continuity. And, and it was it's supposed to be. Note, but. No, it's supposed to be. It was the rabbinical teachings that made it a separate situation. You know, and all the, I mean, because, you know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, I believe, you know, was trying to make the, the connection but the rabbinical teachings, especially those 400 years of silence, yeah. it was so ingrained. And the, the brokerage that the Pharisees had on relationships with God, I think, was an offense to Christ, too. That's part of the reason he was angry with the money changers in the temple. When you're trying to broker a relationship with God, you really got no business doing that. Yeah, it's That's like the judge that has his ground. hand behind his back saying, you know, yeah. you grease my palm and we'll make something happen. You, I'll make sure God hears your prayer. Yeah, right, right. That's exactly right. Uh, were we going to discuss about Jason's house? Well, um, just briefly, in studying I'm some sorry. of this, it talked about Thessalonica was actually a really large, kind of happening, metropolis-like city compared to Berea. It would be like comparing um, the heart of St. Louis as a thriving city to St. Clair, Missouri. Sure. So when they moved him to Berea, they were kind of moving him on down the line and right. kind of like just kind of sit here and be quiet for a little bit and don't right. stir up much of right. anything. Um but the people of Thessalonica had to be persuaded. I believe it said that he was there like three Sabbaths. Yeah, or, I mean, it took a, a while. He was, he was there preaching and preaching and preaching, and they had to be persuaded, if you will, right. whereas the people in Berea that they called a, a noble people, <laughs> um, they, they wanted to research it out for themselves, and they were like, you know what? He's right. You know what? That does add up. You know what? Um, so this there is that. Things. Right. <laughs> And I, I don't, I'd have to search this out, but so if, if what you're saying is correct, and I'm sure it is, don't you think that you had the difference uh, of a urban setting to a rural setting? So the urban people, I mean, they're busy. You know, they've got stuff to do. They've got businesses to look after and such. The rural community, they got Thorns a little more time. and thistles. Yeah, that's right. And so you can see mom, Paul, grandpa, grandma sitting over a cup of coffee and a candle searching the scriptures. Whereas the folks, even if they originally think, well, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is right, but you know, I'll, let's have a let's look. check it out. Yeah, yeah. If it's wrong, I'll find out it's wrong. Then That's I right. Don't got to worry about it. But because, again, this is something that you know we, we we sometimes put Jewish folks down in the Bible, and and that's that's never the intention. Uh, the Jewish custom was to teach the Scripture to their children, and so for the pockets of Israel that still did that they were just naturally protected from some of these, you know, uh, bad It could bad have been teachings. why the people in Berea knew the scripture as well, and so yeah. they received it a little easier. Correct. Man, I just, I put a lot of study into this, mainly listening to, you know, just sermons and reading old sermon sure. transcripts and things. Um, and an analogy that he made, Paul, or excuse me, that um, John MacArthur made here was that in Thessalonica, it took a lot of persuading. It took a lot to convince to make it happen. 
Um, and he said, look, I could see this as Bless being you. somebody that maybe they have a lot of past. Maybe they've got a lot that they don't, they don't want to deal with, they don't want to ex- accept, and, and then they do. And th- the people of Thessalonica still became a huge, thriving church. Right. And is mentioned several more times in the Bible. They've got the, you know, first and second Thessalonians. They right. have letters. Berea is not really mentioned again. That's it. I went to a church called Berean because of, and I remember thinking, like, and this is in college, where Warren Wearsby used to come and preach. And oh, so this wow. church was called. Um, wow. And so I remember. Talk about name drop. I yeah. was total name drop. I still remember <laughs> the day that he preached to our college class, and these kids were like, who's this old guy? Oh. And I was like. You know what? He's kind of a big deal. He's wrote books. Like my dad has got his commentaries. <laughs> the like B series. Yeah, I haven't read any of them, but I know my dad's got them on his. Any book preacher show. that doesn't know Warren Wiersbe, that tells me a lot about that preacher yeah. right well, there. It, it made me kind of research, like why is Berean? Why is it called Berean? And then right. I remember finally finding it, and it said the Bereans were a noble people, and I'm like, that's it. That's you it. Named your whole church after it, and it's just they're a they noble people. They studied the scriptures, but in <laughs> the point that the the preacher was making was that you know you can have somebody that just they don't have a lot of past and they know the scriptures and they and they're I guess doing everything right if you right. will and then you've got somebody with like a whole tattered past right. and it, you know just hasn't done any darn thing right but what does it matter it doesn't it doesn't because once you get to the cross it's all level that's playing right. field that's it um which was a really beautiful analogy i thought between the two cities and you know so maybe the thessalonians took a lot of in persuasion and it took a while and then maybe it wasn't very easy but now it was it worth the matter. investment that's right if you look at the just looking at the list of cities that he went to that's, I wrote them all down, but the ones that he was, he really had trouble in, that's where the churches are. Right. The, the churches, of, the letters were written to the Thessalonians, the, the Ephesians, Philippians. Yeah, the, the church so, of Ephesus, the well, church of Philippi. How, how does the phrase go, uh, much forgiven, much loved? I mean, you know, the, the, the more investment that goes in a lot of times, you know, the more you get out of it, you know. And, and, and I, I think that is, again, a huge commendation to Paul is that, uh, and who knows, you know, the Holy Spirit lets you in on things. And so it's quite possible that Paul knew it's not going to end well in the early stages, but everything that me and uh, Barnabas and Silas that we plant here, it's going to have a beautiful garden later Yeah, type thing. And Ephesus to that where they challenged the idol makers. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Oh, Ephesus was a a dumpster fire. (laughs) It was a dumpster fire. Uh, and these are it, the places the churches right, were established. Right. Up from the ashes. Founded. Yeah. How's that the go? The roses of success. There, yeah, come the roses of success. So one final discussion question if we have time. So here's a new believer. We've got time because I don't think JV's coming tonight. So we have a new believer, and it's Jason, and he's in his home. He's, you know, new to the following of the faith. And what's the first thing that happens? He gets literally drugged into this, you know, you know ruckus of a mob crowd hasn't done anything wrong. Um, what do you think it was like in Jason's house um, before, <laughs> before, during, and after? Right. You know, what? Oh, before it was probably wonderful. Hey, yeah. this new guy's here, and he's telling us about a bunch of great stuff about Give Jesus. Good news, oh, wonderful. Yeah. And then, and then that night, <laughs> all of the city <laughs> leaders show up, grab him by his ear, and pull him out. Where is this guy? You know, uh, yeah. I'm sure, you know, if there was five and seven and eight-year-olds, they're mm. just more. What are they doing to Are you daddy? sure about this Jesus, Dan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and 
I mean, I think personally that all of us probably know what that would feel like. And I don't know, I, I don't mean experiential, meaning that we can imagine that it would be terrifying. You would rethink everything. You know, you would put the kids down that night and then go in with mama and say, okay, we, we got to talk. Do you, you think know? it would cause more doubts or reinforce your opinion more? I think it depends on your personality type. Yep. I'm serious. And it depends on how many maybe face-to-faces you've had with Paul at this point. You know, I think if, if Jason and, you know, fill in the blank, a name of wife, uh, has really had a meaningful, they've obviously been saved, you know, I would think. And so I would hope that they would basically say, okay, you know, you remember the teachings of Christ. We've got to count the cost. You know, this may cost us everything, but we're going to get eternity in heaven from this point forward type deal. Uh, and then and then who knows? I mean, you know, some have counted the cost and said, we don't think it's worth it. If you his know? reputation preceded him, Jason knew that Paul had been beaten in three other cities before. That's Kevin. a good point. So he, he obviously didn't buy in with not much information. Right. So. That's what I was thinking. If he spent any time with Paul, then surely he would know, like, you know what? I've been drugged and beaten, and so every church I've started, there's been persecution. It's coming. Just, yeah. just wait, because our message is true, and people can't stand it. And then, here we so, go. So, have you guys watched Seven Brides for Seven Brothers? Mm-hmm. Have you watched that? Yep. You watched I haven't it? seen it. No. Oh, Sorry, come brother. on, Gavin. It doesn't sound like a We almost had film. a consensus. <laughs> so, at the end of the movie, when it's coming to the climax, and it looks like the whole town is coming out to basically kill the seven brothers because they have kidnapped six brides for the six brothers because Adam's already married. Uh... Adam is taking a stand against his brothers that we've got to give the girls back. You know, it wasn't right what we did. We kidnapped them. It wasn't right. We've got to give them back. And all six brothers except Gideon says, well, you're going to have to go through me to get them. Gideon walks over to Adam and says, I stand with Adam. Adam puts his hand on Gideon's shoulder and pushes him away. He says, you might not want to stand too close. <laughs> I kind of feel like Paul did that at each place. You know, ooh, Paul, we love what you're saying. And they want to get real close. Yeah. <laughs> you need to hear what I've been through not first. You know, just for your sake. This is going to cost you. Yeah, you need to keep a little mm-hmm. distance, right? But, 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 but it is worth it, you know. Amen. Uh, and, 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 you know, none of us that I know of have experienced anything like Paul did. But the reality is that could change tomorrow, you know. And, and, and I, the Holy Spirit kind of drew the line with me in college when I was really considering surrender to preach. And basically, uh, I use the word forced in a, in a gentle sense. He forced me to deal with the concept, are you willing to die for me? And, and so I went through that and I submitted to it. If you will, I surrendered to it. A few years later, I heard a preacher say, if the Lord has not asked you yet to die for him, he's asking you to live for him. And amen to that. Because I kind of got stuck on that and thought it was going to happen any minute, you know, type deal. Well, that wasn't it at all. The Lord just wanted to know how committed was I, how surrendered was I. And so uh, I feel like, you know, every Christian ought to work through that. Where, where are you at? You know, Christ died for you. What are you willing to do for Christ? And um, because it, it, when it gets ugly, it, it gets ugly. So I, I do believe, obviously, now Jason's never mentioned again, I don't believe, but that doesn't mean that he wimped out or anything of that nature. Uh, but but I, I do believe that all families, when things get tough, they have that, you know, a little bit of hanging, 
you know, they feel the rope tighten, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but it doesn't doesn't cut off your breathing. It, it just, it's just a little bit of hanging. And for Jason, that night was probably a little bit of hanging. You know, this is serious stuff. This, this is blood and, and, and death stuff. Well, do you feel like we face that not in the same level? We're not drug out in the streets, but a time when our faith, faith is tested, like we've got some bad news financially, health-wise, or right. um, we're going to talk about prodigals. Right. You know, our, we have to have a faith check. Are we going to stand on, are we going to stand firm or are we not? Like well, what are we going to believe? Are we going to well, live what we believe, right. what we've been saying? Look at what happens if you put the wrong thing on Facebook right now. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can lose your job uh, over a stand for Christ. Uh, you can lose your job over a stand for a particular party. You know, and the such. So, so yes, I, I believe in 2022 we can truly relate more than than I could in 1980. So, uh, Paul, not Paul, uh, Brother Larry uh, submitted something here. Uh, church, uh, they also feared that Roman uh, Rome would come in because they had a problem controlling their people and adding non-Jewish following. Church of Smyrna, Jesus commends them for their faithfulness in the face of difficulty, persecution, poverty, and even death. He reminds them and us that our eternal reward far outweighs this present life. Uh, so very, very good. All right. All right. So uh, I'm just saying, and I have yes, to, I, got I have one. to own this. Huh. So I'm just saying, you Ben have said repeatedly that you wish that the woman that gave your mom the recipe for chicken and rice. If there was a moment in time you could go back and have made sure that never happened. So I've never made chicken and rice uh, ever. But my kids have requested anything with rice and like in spur of the moment, I have to throw down a meal. I'm scanning the pantry. I make chicken and rice. They love it. They want it, it all the good. time now. It is <laughs> like, good. But oh, it's man. like my mom threw every other cookbook out. <laughs> And that's all we ate for six months in a row on Sunday afternoon. Oh, my goodness. You could say, you could start to say chicken and. I'd, oh, my goodness. I just too much. I have actually, in the last probably five to ten years, reintroduced oh. it. Because our family loves it, too. I know what not to make if you ever come to visit. Please. But, I mean, I'm just saying. Please. On a, Tuesday chicken night. Chicken and anything, not oh, chicken and rice. You put it all in a pressure cooker all at the same time. Oh, yeah. Stunk. Do you put cream of chicken? Yeah, I've it? actually put heavy cream in there, yeah. which is not healthy no, by no. any stretch. But Moderation. Moderate. It's good yeah. stuff. I mean, I wouldn't put White rice? Actually, I use jasmine rice or bes yeah. besmiti rice. I don't even know how to say it. Yeah. Because of the well, meat. so, so uh, mom got into a kick of wild grain rice, and it's pretty good. Uh, I, I, why, out of all the rices, white rice is my least favorite. Um, now, if you uh, chill it and turn it into Mexican rice, now we're, now we're talking. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's uh, yeah, funny. So I'm just saying uh, the joy is in the journey, not in the achievements, but in the controllables. And so I kind of went kind of deep there. Uh, but as I look over my last two to three weeks of life, uh, the joy is in the journey, not in the achievements. So when we're on a road trip, we've adopted the saying, it's the journey, not the destination. Correct. Because every time you have a plan to get somewhere and it's going to be so fun, there's always a whole lot of other things that come up. And it's, we just say, it's the journey. It's yeah. about the journey. Amen. Amen. Mine's a little bit spiritual too. Uh, you ever, 
you've, you've got something that you have to deal with and it's been week or weeks that you've been trying to get ready to deal with it and you just start praying, Lord, let this go well, Lord, to go this, it's just a dark cloud on the horizon, finally it's the day to, to deal with it and you start dealing with it and it's just an easy, oh, no problem. You ever had that happen? It's oh, yeah. like, almost like you I, go to the DV, DMV and have all your paperwork yeah, at one time. Absolutely. I'm just saying I, that has I, happened once. I feel like I'm. I, I I feel such elation. Oh God, you're so good. You're so good. And then I think, well, why does that surprise me? Right. God is good. Right. I get, then this guilt soon follows after that elation that God's good. And so I'm just saying that. Yeah. <laughs> why am I surprised when God is good? My I'm just saying is actually almost the same as <laughs> Gavin's. Is why am I so surprised when God answers my prayers? Amen. I, Amen. In the last couple of weeks with everything going on um, with Twitter and with the Roe versus Wade stuff, I consider both a personal answer to my prayers because I've you know prayed for both of those Amen. things. And why do, why is it surprising? Amen. Like, right. Amen. I get it because it, there's such a stranglehold against it. Right. But at the same time, you know, if everybody's praying for it, then right. why? That's exactly right. I, you know, guys, maximum prayer effort. If Continue, we're not yes. if we're not doing maximum prayer effort right now, we're sinning. Amen. And. Uh, and I know, I know this church does, and praise God for it. Uh, yeah, uh, God is on the move. That song that we sing at second service, uh, Waymaker, I, I mean, I'm telling you, I just, wow. Uh, even when we don't see him working, he, he's working. Uh, I, I really personally believe that the leak, even though I don't believe that it was done on a positive level for pro-life, I believe it is very positive for pro-life because I, I think that too many people had gotten to their head down thinking it's never going to happen, it's never going to happen. No, it, we are on the cusp. And I, that's actually part of the third topic, so we can save that for later. But, uh, yeah. And that song, there's another phrase in a song that I, I've come to just grab hold of. After all I've seen, how could I not believe? That's one of the, is that Waymaker too? Uh, after all I've seen, how could I not believe? Mm. God's been so, so good so many times. You're the promise keeper or whatever. Promise keeper. Yeah. yeah, there's two promise keeper songs out there right now. Uh, Waymaker was the first one, and then there's actually a song, I think, called Promise Keeper um, that we sing both here. Uh, and the goodness of God, when C.C. Winans comes on, I just start crying. Uh, good stuff. Somebody texted in, and I'm just saying, remember, when talking to your pastor, be warned, anything you say could become part of next week's sermon. You better believe it. You better believe it. Yeah, so uh, we got time tonight, okay? Uh, John Smith calls me Monday, former pastor here, a longtime missionary in Kiowa, Colorado, and he says, uh, he says that the guy I usually asks these questions to Ben lost his wife two months ago, so he's on the DL list. And he says, so I just need somebody. I think I got a good Mother's Day sermon, but, but I'm not sure. So he starts telling me all this about this Mother's Day sermon. I said, uh, could you send me the bones of that outline? <laughs> <laughs> he started laughing. I said, I need a Mother's Day sermon too, John. Come on, man. And, uh, as long as you give credits. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you better believe I don't have any problem uh, giving credit out there. It, it's, re it's really good. I, I'm still praying whether, because it wasn't what I was going to preach. Still praying through that. But, it, but, it, but it's very good. So anyway. Do you find, we're about to do this prodigal segment. Yeah. Do you find that people come to Mother's Day church on Mother's Day that don't normally come just because it yeah. makes mom happy? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, Do you ever cater to that in a sermon? Like, well, we might have some people out in the audience that normally wouldn't be here. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
I'm just, I, well, I treat wondering. every special day as a tryout. Every special day, w- whether they are thinking that or not. Right. It's like, a, it's I'm just tr- coming because it make mom oh, happy, yeah. mom yeah. ass. Trying to get mom day. off my back, you know. All uh, mom wanted for Mother's Day was uh, for me to for me show to be up. Here, for yeah. Save me a hundred bucks, so I'll come. Uh, but yeah, every day when a new person is here, it's a tryout. And, and so now I don't ever let that become angst or nervousness. Uh, I, I just always try to, you know, be prepared and be prayed up and such of that nature. But, but absolutely, I, I think that for one thing, mama is smiling from ear to ear to have all the family there. And, you know, I've seen, I've been here now for 30 something years. Uh, this church has went the cycle. You know, when I first got here, this was the church to come to because Maxine Hoffman was here, Gertrude Jennings was here, uh, Max, uh, our, our grandma uh, Hoff. Hoff was here, Joanne was here, Libby Reed was here. You know, all these mamas of these big families, so everybody would come. Well, I mean, that was 30 years ago. So about 15 years ago, those folks have graduated, you know, to heaven. And so we had a lot of younger families in here. So guess where they go? Mother's Day. They go to whatever church their mom is going to. So, you know, we, but now we're kind of swinging a little bit back because we're, we're producing another crop. Shirley Rapold last Sunday night down at the Fellowship Mill said, I'm the old we- woman now. You know, I'm one of the old women now uh, and such. And I'm like, yeah, but embrace it. I mean, yeah, you man. know, you have survived. <laughs> yeah, man. Not for wimps. That's right. All right, we'll move on to our second topic, which, spoiler alert, is um, the story of the prodigal son. Um, this is found in Luke in chapter 15. I feel like this is one of the more recognizable. Absolutely. Um, if you say the prodigal son, a lot of people you know, that don't read the Bible much even know what you're talking about. Um, I didn't know this. Charles Dickens said that this is the greatest short, greatest short story ever written. Mm. It was interesting. Well, and something else interesting, too, that you may or may not know, uh, this is the third parable in this mm-hmm. chapter about something that's lost. You have the lost coin, you have the lost sheep, and then you have the lost son. Um, and, and so basically this is a buildup to uh, our homecoming this Sunday. No, sorry, two Sundays from now. This Sunday's Mother's Day. Uh, two Sundays from now. Uh, and, and we're going to talk more about that in that third topic about, you know, the Phil, Phil Waldrop and the such. But I, I thought it would be good for us to kind of revisit this story, talk a little bit about it, and then build the, the whole premise of... Uh, while we're going to have Phil Waldrop come. So uh, you want to read or you want me to read? Oh, sure, I can read. So this is Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as your hired servants. 
And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And when the son and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill him, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son, who was dead, is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. So first I want to just talk about have you ever stopped and thought about how many applications can be put to this story? I mean, you know. I wasn't sure which direction we were going to go, yeah. to be totally well, honest. Well, and so, we, again, we've got time so we can kind of, you know, touch on, on each one of them. We're, the, this book uh, that Phil Waldrop wrote is using the application of a family that has raised, quote-unquote, a child in the church or in kingdom living, Christianity, however you want to say it. And when they are older, when they had the opportunity, they ran from it. And they have had the prodigal experience. And they've wasted their life, if you will, on riotous living. And uh, I'll explain it more later, but the two premises of the book is, as a parent, what did I do wrong? What do I do now? And, and so he, he just masterfully covers that in this book. I will assert to you that is just one application to this story. Uh, you have also can come straight up from the application of you just got a straight-up lost person, you know, uh, and that they, they were raised in a loving home but not necessarily a Christian home. And so when they got their freedom, they went out and did the things of the world and fell in need and saw that they were, you know, that this was crazy. And so they came back type deal. And, and so that, that him coming back and saying to the Father, I have sinned, you know, against you, that was salvation, you know, for him. Whereas in the first sense, the child may have actually already been saved as, as a young child and, and had a prodigal experience again, if you will, a backsliding and that means different things in different denominations. In the Baptist faith, it simply means that you have lost your way, not that you've lost your salvation. It also may represent that you never had it, and, you, you know, you've got to work through that type deal. The other application I see here is the Garden of Eden. You know, we are the prodigal son, and God is the father. So I think something I saw in this, um, I mean, having been familiar with this story for, you know, probably Everything. most of my life, um, the part where he comes to his father and he says, give me, give me the property that's due to me. Well, that would have been like an ultimate dead. shock. Like that is dead. the most disrespectful slap in the face that says, I, you know, let's just have your funeral now. I don't care. I hate you. I don't want to follow your rules. I want to do what I want to do. And this, and the father could have said, oh, Heck no. Heck no. Smacked him publicly, took him out, and be, it would have been culturally accepted right. for to them to, to, oh, stone him, yeah. to completely dismiss him from the family and say, I get out of here. But I think for the first time I saw it so clearly, like this is how God sees us. He gave us free will. Right. He gave us, we want to do what we want to do. Right. Um, that's You're dead our to me. biggest problem. Talk about going back to the garden. Right. We want to do it our way, right. always. And God allows us to have that free will. 
And uh, that's kind of what I saw for the first time is the father in the story is saying, you, you want it, you go ahead. I'm going to love you enough to let you. Give you what you want. Here, here you go. And that's God loved us enough to it say, doesn't change how I feel I'm not going to make you a robot. You can make your own decisions, but I'm going to be here waiting patiently, um, loving you and wanting you to always return to me. I guess I saw that for the first Looking time. Looking at the casement. It, the father was looking for him because he saw him from afar off. Uh, who knows how many times a day the father went to the window. Uh, and, you know, who knows how many times a day the Holy Spirit woos and calls lost to themselves, to himself. Well, and to some extent, we are all a prodigal. Like we've all, Correct. like it says, all Correct. have sinned all and have fallen sinned. short, every single one of us. I, I won't say the name because I don't think it would be fair. But I was just point blank asked the question. Can I come to your church even though I'm a member somewhere else? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we can abuse you here. Just uh, like that's, you better church. believe it. That's right. And, and then the response was, well, what do I have to do to become a member? And I said, well, so let's talk about that. I said, first of all, remember, you asked. <laughs> I said, we need, want, and ask anyone and everyone that wants to be a member of the church to make sure that they have had an experience of grace. And the person just kind of looked at me. And I, so I just spilled it out, you know, and went to the garden, you know, and explained salvation. And so now, pl please hear me, and for those that may be listening uh, on podcast land type thing, uh, we're not looking for other church members and such. But when someone comes to us, we don't refuse them. I do encourage people that pray it through, make sure this is the right step. God may still want you where you're at, and if he does, that's where you need to go because that's what I hope pastors would tell folks that are from our church that are visiting them type thing, do unto others. All that said, it's just so refreshing to get the opportunity to share to someone the gospel. And, uh, you know, I... I I'm going to tell you, I truly don't know, and, and it probably wouldn't take a whole lot to figure it out, but I, I don't know which of those applications God intends, and maybe all of them, to this story. But I, I truly believe that you can use this story in at least three different applications. we got and, two more. Okay, let's hear it. So there's a theme that runs throughout Scripture, and this is another manifestation of that theme where the abused person often finds himself in a position where the abuser is at their feet. Mm -hmm. the, the, the story of Joseph being one of them. Um, the story of the Good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. The Samaritan was hated and the, the guy said, who's my neighbor? Jesus said, the neighbor is somebody that you potentially have abused and hated all your mm -hmm. life. Your neighbor's potentially that person's going to save your life. And here's the father who's been insulted by the son to say, let's just get the business of this relationship settled and we'll call it good. And now he's back at the father's feet. So that, that theme runs repeatedly throughout Scripture. And the other one is that God didn't, or I'm sorry, the father, which is, of course, a representative of God here, didn't have just his eye on his son that went away. He had his eye on his son that stayed, too. Mm -hmm. And he noticed that his son his other son who stayed with him wasn't at the party mm -hmm. and he went looking for him as well. Mm -hmm. So he, he, the, the father wasn't just looking at the prodigal. He was looking at the faithful son too. 
And you know how I am want to find a triangular mm -hmm. relationship here. Mm -hmm. uh, he wasn't just worried about his relationship with his son that stayed. He was worried about the relationship of the son who was faithful to the prodigal son, too. Right. He tried to restore that relationship right. as well. That's right. And, and one person brought out, because uh, I have, because I truly believe, you know, what, what is homecoming? I'm you know, sure you celebrate the birth of the, of the church, but beyond that, what is homecoming? You know, well, the, the greatest homecoming is, first of all, a lost person coming to Christ, and then the second greatest homecoming is a saved individual who has been a prodigal coming back to Christ. So for me, this has been kind of a sugar stick on homecoming day. Yeah. And I believe both the man that left and the man that stayed were lost. Neither, neither yeah, one neither of them the got it. Yeah, and that's something um, I was kind of hoping we could save the second son, the other, the good son, if you will, quote, uh, maybe for another topic altogether. Sure. Um, but part of that was maybe the person, as an analogy, that has been in church their whole life and is maybe like the Pharisees. Right. They, they just did everything right. I followed right. all the rules, but maybe they're there, just... There's as, never been a, there's a, the a heart grace connection's not there. experience of grace. That, yeah, you know, uh, and, and growing up, again... The, the only, the only uh, how would you say it, the only flavor of Christianity that I know is Baptist. And I know that all through my years of before I became a preacher, uh, you would hear preachers just kind of go through the list. The fact that your mom and dad is saved and come to church, that doesn't mean you're saved. The fact that you attend church every Sunday and Sunday, that doesn't mean you're saved. Maybe even the fact that you went through the baptismal waters, that doesn't mean that you've been saved. The only thing that means that you've been saved is you've done business with God. The Holy Spirit has called you to the cross. You've repented. You've accepted what Jesus did on the cross for your sins, that experience of grace. And as I've talked to people all through my life, you'd be surprised how many people don't understand that, that they just don't get it. You know, well, what do you mean? Well, <laughs> Romans 10, 9 is what I mean. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's no other issue more important than that before you die. So, go ahead. Um, so, in kind of breaking this down for today, as we're getting kind of prepped for our homecoming and our speaker, which I'm so excited we're having a guest speaker. Um, uh, it's not that I don't like music, but I'm really excited that it's a guest right. speaker. Um, one of the things I see, um, I haven't read the book, but as a parent, and you're talking about a prodigal, so that implies you have a child that has gone Left. astray. I think instinctively as a parent, maybe one of the mistakes we make, and he might point to this in the book, is that you get angry. Maybe, maybe you mess up on your end. Um, the father in this story showed love. He showed grace. Um, I think when your child is making every last mistake that maybe you warn them, repeatedly don't do this right. this not this this not this well they did exactly the opposite and now as a parent you react in a way that's not not exactly graceful not exactly holy not exactly loving um and i feel like that would be an easy mistake to make as a parent amen so if it's okay let's just go through the uh, uh chapters here uh, first of all, he, he talks in his book about understanding your pain. And uh, he doesn't ever say that he himself has had a prodigal for, of his children as much as God just kind of put a circle around Phil 
and just kept bringing him to this, kept bringing him to it. He would disturb his sleep at hotel rooms. He, he would send letter after letter after letter from families asking this question, what did I do wrong? What do I do now? And, and so it just became an issue between God and Phil. And so Phil finally said, okay, God, okay. <laughs> and he dove in. He set up a, an appointment with every prodigal of the church that he had pastored for like the last 20, 30 years. He had like 20 different appointments, and he just gave them all kind of the same, you know, he assessed them. And, and, he, and he told them, there's no judgment here. I need to hear your experience. I need to hear from you what we did wrong as a church. I need to hear from you what you think your family did wrong. I need to hear from you what you think you did wrong if you think you did any wrong. And I need to hear where you're at. And, and he did. And, boy, I, this came out of that. Yeah, cool stuff. Well, that's some pretty serious research. Very serious. He took it very seriously. And, serious. I mean, and that's wanting to hear for himself, like, we as a church, what did we do right. wrong? That's, that's tough. Yeah. That's tough answers That's when hear. you know you're getting serious. Right. When you're willing to open up the, you know, take the shields down and say, shoot away, you know. So then the second one is seeing your prodigal, you know, seeing them for who they really are, responding to your prodigal, number three. And then four is principle one. Getting over the guilt. Basically, he tells the parent, it wasn't your choice for your prodigal to leave. It was your prodigal's choice. You've got to let that stay with them. But then he says... the sermon I heard one time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I've preached this book pretty much. <laughs> uh, principle two, removing the barriers. Um, and I think Brad hit that pretty heavy too one time. Uh, removing the barriers. Now, this is where you deal with you. Because he, he, he says, parents, we've all messed up. We've all said the wrong things. We've all done the wrong thing. So you need to sit down with your prodigal and say, this isn't about you. What, I, what I'm fixing to talk about is not about what I think you've done wrong. This is about what I know I have done wrong. You remember that one day I told you I wish you were never born? I wish I could take that back because that was the stupidest thing to say. I don't believe it at all and I'm begging you to forgive me, type thing. It removed the barriers. Whether they respond or not, you've got to do what's right for you. Principle six, I'm sorry, principle three, chapter six, extending unconditional love. Babe, I love you no matter what. There's nothing you can do to make me love you less, nothing you can do to make me love you more. I love you unconditionally. Seven, principle four, allowing the pain of wrong decisions. You just, you just ask God for grace to deal with the pain. Um, principle five, meaning the pain of their bad decisions. Uh, number, principle five, chapter eight, watching your words. Choose your words carefully. Uh, principle six, praying the hard prayers. Lord, do what you got to do to bring this child back to you. Do what you got to do. And Go I've heard people say um, something to the extent of let their sin be like dirt in their mouth. Yeah, and yeah. let their friends, let their let them see their friends who they are, as they are. Defeat um, the counsel of Hithophel. Yeah. Uh, hedge, of, hedge of protection, you know, that Hosea uh, around Gomer, Hosea asked God to put a hedge of protection and drive off the, her lovers, you know. Uh, this was the adulterous wife uh, and the such. So, yeah, absolutely. I encourage parents to pray all those prayers, you know, and the such. Um, so, so Phil is going to come. He wrote a, a more recent book, Beyond Betrayal, which uh, Ellen Jurgens, no, Ellen Sullivan, uh, read, and she said it was awesome. 
So he may actually preach this in first and second service, but in the Sunday school time, he's going to talk about this subject of reaching your prodigal, and he's going to answer questions from adults and, and well, anybody in such of that nature. So it's two weeks from now. That's May the 15th. I am big time looking forward to it. Now, I, you know, I know I've shared this in, in services. I don't know that we've talked about it here at BRH, but the funniest thing happened in, in getting him. We spend anywhere from $3,500 to, to $5,000 for a 30-minute set of a Southern Gospel group. It's just what it costs these days. Now, they do that twice, but that's what it costs to get a Gospel group to come. Now, don't get me wrong. You can get cheaper, but you get what you pay for. I've learned that the hard way. So I, 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 I'm willing. We, we may do the whole professional group again someday soon, some homecoming soon. But about six, eight months ago, sitting in that chair that I always sit in before I preach, the Holy Spirit basically said, because I was thinking about homecoming. I was thinking about this book. And the Holy Spirit basically said, why don't you just get the author, you know? And I'm like, boy, that's a great idea. And so when I started researching it, I came up with two groups that represent him in quotations. And it was either a $5,000 sermon or a $10,000 sermon. And I'm like, well, Lord, we spend quite a bit of money for these singing groups, but I ain't ever paid nobody $10,000 for a sermon. So I just told them thanks but no thanks, and then I found an email address for Phil Waldrop directly to him. So I shot him an email. I said, hey, I've looked at two different agencies that you, you know, are contracted with. We just can't. We just can't. We're not going to pay $10,000 a sermon. Can you come for any less? We're a small church, small rural church. We, we, we can pay you pretty good, but we can't pay you no 10000 He called me the next day and said, Brother Ben, I've never preached a $10,000 sermon, and I've never made $10,000 for a sermon. So you almost got scammed. I'm like, wow. Okay, well, praise the Lord. And this guy is down to earth. I think he's from Georgia, uh, just down to earth. And he is excited to come preach. And he's going to make significantly less than $10,000. But uh, we're going to treat him like a Take king. Take up a love offering. Yeah, right. right. We're Somebody gonna... might be showing a lot of love. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Uh, you, you, and I'll tell you, my philosophy on stuff like that, may their tribe increase. If somebody's making $10,000 for a sermon, hallelujah, praise the Lamb. Hopefully they're worth every dime type thing. But they're not going to get it here <laughs> from the budget. Again, if, if some of you millionaires out there want to write a check, hallelujah, praise the Lamb, uh, may your tribe increase too. But uh, all that said, uh, we're going to have a big day on that day. Uh, and I don't know how I'm going to pull it off, but I kind of sort of promised him fried green tomatoes. That's kind of early in the That's season for nice. fried green tomatoes. That was a little. So, yeah, it was a little out there. Re uh, Restaurant Depot may have some green tomatoes that I can. They don't make that in Georgia? <laughs> no, no. Uh, I'm sure they do, but not in May. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, but I, I'm telling you, it was like two brothers from the same, or two brothers from different mothers. But uh, I, I am truly excited about the day, and, and I, I know you're going to hear some good preaching on that day. I know that. All right. We are out of time on that, and we'll be back next week, we believe. Otherwise, you'll hear it in the messages, right? Absolutely. Uh, and, and yeah, we, we will get the word out. Um, does anybody know the Awana schedule? Oh, well, are we going to do an end-of-the-year party? We usually, don't we? Don't it's up, we? It's up to you. It's up to me? <laughs> What's really we up to these green people? tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> so next week, uh, well, we'll get the word out. We'll, we'll get, uh, we'll, let, let us think through that. 
Because very honestly, next week I'm doing a lot of stuff for school, end of parties, and such of that nature. So uh, we, we will either have a BRH or we'll have a party, one of the two. Sounds good. And right. I can be persuaded. I can, I can be persuaded. Can be so if you I can have be bribed. <laughs> God bless you guys. What are you guys?